our scripture is coming from um, Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose uh, over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and sought the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let us pray together. Father God, we um, say thank you now for an opportunity to hear your word. We pray that you would bless the message that come forth. Uh, Pastor Ryan, this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit now would move, uh, have your way in this service. We pray that you would now uh, endow him with um, the gift of preaching, uh, understanding. We pray that your people will be lifted. We pray that your spirit would heal our minds, hearts, body, soul, spirit, in Jesus' name, we know it's done. Amen. Come, follow me. Jesus calls out to a couple of fishermen from the shore in Galilee, and so it begins disciples. This ragtag group of followers is entrusted with a message of hope, a message of redemption for the world, the gospel. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. God's promised spirit ensures that the message goes deep, soaking into hidden crevices of the heart. As it saturates the earth, the gospel then goes wide, spreading to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The leaders of the day try to stop the disciples, but Peter and John proclaim, we cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard. The message moves on. Stephen loses his life. And so it is said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. And then, a law-driven Pharisee by the name of Saul is softened by the warm glow of grace and devotes his life to the worldwide advancement of the cause. The gospel moves from city to city to city spreading with power and conviction 
one thing becomes clear. It cannot be stopped. Saturate, to thoroughly fill, that is the movement of grace. This video is a video of the series that we did uh, about two years ago in 2016. And we started our way through the book of Acts. Now, today we're going to pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 11. And, and you're getting the gist of the book of Acts. It's about the advancement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the interesting thing is, is that while uh, I think that the first disciples would have said that, that it was their plan and how they would strategically advance the gospel in each and every place, really the Holy Spirit oversaw the whole thing and directed how it would go. When you, when you think about the Great Commission, which is a, a passage of Scripture that some of you are familiar with, uh, some of the last words that Jesus uh, said to his disciples as he sent them out and he ascended into heaven, was this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And we, we hear that and we, and we read that, we think about one thing, we think about going. But, but when you look at what it really says in the original language, it reads more like this, as you go, make disciples. And so New City Church, that's what we're going to be focusing on for the next several months as we close out the book of Acts. So many times we are so concerned with where we're going that we forget how important it is to be, to be reminded of how we go. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, today. So here's our big idea as we look uh, at this text today. It comes uh, Acts 11, 19 through 26, but the big idea is this. The reconciliation of diverse people with God and one another is the greatest evidence of the Spirit's power to the watching world. I mean, you think about this. It takes great faith and encouragement to let the gospel flow through us to unreached people, places, cultures, and groups. And we need encouragement and great faith to step into this. So I've, I've, I want to walk through this text, and we're just going to let it be our guide. And I've, I've picked up on some things that I'm going to highlight as we go through it. So if you've got a Bible, crack it open to Acts chapter 11. And the first thing that we see from Acts chapter 11 is, is this, is that the gospel advances through suffering. The gospel advances through trial. The gospel advances through hardship. Those are the things that we typically want to hide, the things that we typically want to run from, but it's exactly the thing that God uses to send the gospel forth in the world and in our lives. 
So let's, let's look at this real quick. There's a, there's a bunch of names in this text that, of different cities and places and regions that I want to pull up uh, real quick. So I think there's a map that we're going to throw up real quick here in Acts chapter 11. Um, so, so when you look at this, basically the, the gospel kind of is, is planted and the Holy Spirit descends in Jerusalem, which is, which is right here. Okay? And this is the, you know, the Mediterranean Sea. And what begins to happen is that the church is persecuted. Uh, they're treated very poorly. Some people are killed because of their faith, because of how offensive the gospel is. I mean, you think about this. There's a temptation by all of us to kind of water down what the message is because it's so hard to bear. But what Jesus has come to do is to say that, hey, you're dead in and of yourself. There's nothing that you can do for your eternal security without Jesus. If that's not offensive, I don't know what is. And so these guys in Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit falls on them, the, these apostles and disciples begin preaching this boldly. And then we see Stephen uh, is one of, uh, you know, one of the first disciples is, is martyred for his faith. He's stoned to death. You know why? Because he begins to tell them, uh, the, the Jewish leaders of the day begins to say, look, listen, you didn't listen to Abraham. You didn't listen to, to Isaac. You didn't listen to Jacob. You didn't listen to Joseph. You didn't listen to Moses. You didn't listen to David. And you're not listening to me. And you know why? Because your heart is dead on the inside. You have an uncircumcised heart is what he would say. And so throw the map back up again, please. And so what begins to happen is, is the people begin to scatter the Greek word is diaspora, and it means that it means to be scattered throughout. And so think about seed and farming. The seed begins to be scattered out. And you know what begins to happen as the seed scatters? Is it begins to grow in different places because disciples of Jesus have been sent out. Now, while they would have loved to say it was our idea to go to Antioch, it was it was our idea. Uh, to, to move on and to, and to plant the gospel. Really what drove them was this fear of persecution. You see, sometimes we're real intentional about sending the gospel forward and making Jesus known. Other times we're just running for our lives. And you know what? It doesn't matter. God uses them both. Isn't that the story of the church? And so you see, it goes to Antioch. And it's, Antioch is this city uh, that, that, is, that is filled with lots and lots of diverse people groups. And so, uh, you know, here's, here's what the early church father, Tertullian, said about, about this persecution that happened. Um, and this is about 150 years after this event happens in the history of the church. Tertullian says this, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. So just what you thought was the worst thing in the world is the, exactly the thing that God used to send his message and the gospel forth to the world. So from this point on, we see the, the church operate in this rhythm of gathering and scattering. And really, isn't that what we do as a church each and every week? We gather, we come together for encouragement, for edification, for worship. And then we're scattered throughout Atlanta, Lawrenceville, Gwinnett County throughout the week. And we see this, this pattern. So what we pick up on in Acts eleven nineteen. Uh, is this. I'll read it for us real quick. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, that was a big deal uh, in Acts chapter 6 that happened, 
uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and, and Antioch. But these guys were speaking to no one except Jews. So you think about this. You see one of your brothers killed for what he believes. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to think about who I'm going to talk to along the way. But I'm just going to share the gospel with people that look like me because I kind of remember what happened to Stephen and I'd rather that not happen to me, right? <laughs> and so you begin to, to just to, to pursue and to share your life with people that look like you. It's a, it's a temptation and it's a natural leaning that all of us face is that we are more prone to share life with people that look like us, that act like us, that have the same economic level as we do, that are in the same class, that live in the same area as we do. But what we begin to see about this is that it's, while there may be a, a, a kind of tinge of obedience in the middle of that, that God is more honored by another approach. So, so we see this kind of second group of people that, that do something a little bit differently. They begin to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to go where the wind of the Spirit blows them. And they begin to see people differently with great faith. So we look at this in Acts chapter 11, verse 20. It says this, But there were some of them. There were some of them, men of Cyprus, Cyrene, they're really far away. Parts of North Africa and Asia and in and, and the Middle East, we begin to see these, these people that end up in Antioch and these disciples of Jesus that are pressed into Antioch, which is this global city that we'll talk about in a minute. Some of them who on coming to Antioch smoke, spoke to the Hellenists, that is uh, the, the people of Greek culture, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And listen to what happens to this group of people. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A great number of them who believed turned to the Lord. And so what we begin to see happen is there's this other group of people. And get this, guys. This is, this is the first church that's not predominantly Jewish in the history of the world. This is the first church that people, that was a minority majority church. What we see in Antioch, what we see happening there. And the guys that founded this church, we don't even know their names. Think about that. We, we don't even know who they are. There's some of them. Yet we have the hope of Jesus because of men and women like this today. Doesn't that make us ask a question? Am I, am I willing to be unnamed as I go on the mission of God? Am I willing to be an anonymous Lawrence Villian, an Atlantan, a Graysonian, or however you would pronounce that? You know, wherever, you're, wherever you live, am I willing to be anonymous so that the fame of Jesus can spill forth through my life? Some of them. <laughs> Some of them. I mean... This, our church today would not be here without the church at Antioch beginning to expand out, to, be, to reach a global city. I mean, you've got Philip who preached to the Samaritans, and Peter went to Cornelius, but these, these were kind of safe options because they were in the same context with the same types of people for the most part. 
But these unnamed guys decided to fully step out of the boat and say, hey, we're going to embrace this global city that God has taken us to, and we're going to make Jesus known. And I don't care what it costs. And so they go forth. See, it's interesting, though, that that they would have never been here if Peter hadn't been martyred, or I'm sorry, if uh, Philip hadn't been martyred for his faith. They would have never been in this position to end up in Antioch. It's interesting about suffering, right? Trial, hardship. It quickens the church to take the gospel where it's not been before. There, there's, it's, it's the great equalizer. There's, there's something about suffering that gives you a platform that you didn't choose, that propels you to a position toward a people that you did not earn. There's something about when everything seems like Falling apart in your life, God seems to be picking up the pieces and putting you in places and giving you platforms around people that you never chose. And that's where the gospel works powerfully. Because what we have is an obedient servant who's willing to make Jesus known. So you think about that in your life today. Where has the wind of the Spirit blown you this week? Where has it blown you this year? Where did it blow you last year? Are we seeing the people around us, the places around us, the cultures around us that God has drawn us into? It's quite effortless. Really what it involves more than anything is lifting up our eyes to see life situations and circumstances and those that God has drawn us into relationship with, with the lens of the gospel. To see that neighborhood that you live in, maybe it wasn't an accident. Maybe you're not there just because you found the best deal and you decided to move into that neighborhood. Maybe you're not there because you like the countertops in the house that you bought. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe you're not at that job because, you know, the interview went well and you just kind of knocked it out of the park and you crushed it. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's more going on than what we're doing is what I'm saying. And maybe God is drawing us and calling us into places and we think it's for one reason, but really, it's for a whole nother. Listen to Paul's heart as he began to make the gospel known. And and this this comes from Romans chapter 15, verses 20 and, and 21. This is Paul kind of closing up this letter that he writes to the church in Rome, which was the, the largest city in the world at the time that influenced every other city to some degree. He writes to this church and he says this, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard Him will understand. You see, here's what we see about Paul. This this was written in, in like AD 57 or so. This, five years later, Paul desired to go to Rome. Five years later, his, his ship would be wrecked. He'd be on this island of, of Malta for, you know, three months. And when he finally gets to Rome, he would, he would rarely spend any time being a free man in Rome. He'd be on house arrest most of the time. And he would end up losing his life for the sake of the gospel advancing in Rome because he knew if he could take it to Rome, it would go to the world. The vision of Rome drove Paul. If I could just get Rome, maybe the world would know about Jesus. What would it look like for you and for me to have the same ambition to make Christ known where He's not yet known? 
what would it look like? You know, I sent this uh, email out to a handful of folks in the church. Um, I'm working on this school project for a doctorate, and um, one of the things that I just really wanted to discover is just what are the life-on-life interactions of people sharing with other people about Jesus in our church? So I just sent out this risky email, and here's why it was risky. I was just basically asking them to, to tell me about an evangelistic or spiritual conversation that they've had with someone. It's risky because I didn't know if anyone would write anything back. You know what I'm saying? But here's what began to happen as I, my inbox was flooded with these stories about how you and you and you and you are seeking to make Christ known where He's not yet been known. You're letting the wind of the Spirit blow you into coffee shops and, and conversations with co-workers and, and neighbors and you're, you're stepping into Antioch because God has brought you here. What would it look like, church, for us to catch a vision that the Holy Spirit is so interested in unifying His church and taking the good news of Jesus to the world that that is the driving force of our hearts? What what would that look like for New City Church? What's the vision, church, that drives you this morning? Maybe maybe for some of us, we're, we're a little off track and it's, you know, our career really drives us. Or maybe it's, it's, it's this idea of the perfect family that, that drives us, or the perfect spouse, or the perfect education that drives us. It's not that God isn't interested in those things. He is. But as we go, those things come together. As we make the main thing the main thing, which is making Christ known. His, his fame and His glory known throughout the world. And you, you, you begin to realize that he's interested in the things that you're interested in. That he wants to make an impact through you in the spheres of influence that you have. So let's think about this. What, what in your life is not the way you think it should be right now? What is it? Think about it. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your health. Um, maybe it's your, your vocation. Um, maybe it's your living situation, your relationship situation. Maybe it's your family. What is it that's not the way it's supposed to be? Now, when we think about that, whatever it is, you get disheartened. And you grieve a little bit on the inside. Let's kind of flip that thing on its head. and How might God be using that situation to make Christ known where He's not yet known? What if that were the case? What if you had to endure hardship for a little while so that many could come to know Jesus? What if that was his plan from you, for you from the beginning? What if that was it? What we begin to see, church, is this. Interruptions become invitations when the Holy Spirit is in you. There's no such thing as something outside of the sphere of God's influence when God's Spirit dwells inside of you because he's the one driving us and pushing us out into the world with one another. Where's the invitation for you this week, this moment, today, this year? Where is it that God is leading you and pressing you into? Just getting going. Number two, let's look at this. Following Jesus is hard, right? You're hearing me talk about this and you're, you're beginning to think, okay, where is God calling me? How am I supposed to make this known? Or, or that's not for me. Or you, whatever you're thinking this morning. 
But regardless of where you're at, whatever decision you're kind of making in your mind right now, it's really hard, the path forward, as you think about it and you project it out and you think about what's next. Following Jesus is hard, and you know what we need? Encouragement. We need encouragement. Let's, let's read uh, Acts chapter 11, 22 through 26, and, and what this, this church begins to do and be. The report uh, came back to the, to, the, to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So the report of what's going on in Antioch, this like super diverse global city, the church has kind of been planted here. What's happening there gets back to the mothership in Jerusalem, okay? And, and, here's, and here's how they respond. They send Barnabas to Antioch. Do you know what Barnabas means? It means son of encouragement. So the church in Jerusalem hears about what's happening in Antioch, and they know how difficult the city is, and how hard it must be to proclaim Christ where he's not yet been made known. And so what they think, they put their heads together, the Spirit leads them, and they say, how can we send the man with the biggest heart for the world to Antioch? How can we send the most encouraging guy on our team to go and be with those people? And we don't even care how long he stays, we just want him to be there because he's the guy for the job. So they send Barnabas, and, and when he came, listen to this, he saw the grace of God. We're going to hit this in a second, but evidently grace is something that you can see. We're going to hit that in a second, though. And he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith. You know what that means? He thought, why not us? In Antioch. Why wouldn't God want to do this? He was a man of great faith. He realized that God could do this. So Barnabas uh, realizes that he's in over his head, right? And he does what any of us would do. He hunts down Paul in Tarsus, right? He goes, he gets, he takes a 70 mile trip to Tarsus and he's like, hey Paul, I, I don't know what the conversation was like. I'm just being hypothetical here. He's like, hey, Paul, hey, bro, I know you had that thing with the blindness and kind of you're laying down low and you're, you know, you're working in your dad's shop right now and you're, you're kind of, you know, just piecing it together, figuring out what it was like to be blind and now that you see and that Jesus lives inside of you, but bro, I need you to get to work with me. Let me tell you about this church in Antioch. It is jacked up, man. You know what I'm saying? There, there's, there's people from Africa. There's people from Asia. They've got all these different cultures. The city's a mess. It's in the middle of the desert. People are killing each other, fighting, and the gospel is on fire here. The Spirit is working. I need a guy like you, Paul. And so what does Paul do? He comes to join him in Antioch. Because the church needed to be encouraged. And they spend, they spend a year there teaching and encouraging the church. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation where you're on the receiving end of receiving empty encouragement? Let me, let me tell you what empty encouragement is. Empty encouragement is encouragement with no power behind it. It sounds a little something like this. Things can only go up from here. Right? Like, like things have just fallen apart in your life. Your life is a wreck. Oh, it can't get any worse, right? Is that encouraging? No. No, it's not encouraging. Or, hey man, just think positive thoughts. Those positive thoughts will help you climb out of this pit that you're in. Or things like, hey man, if you just feel the good vibes, you'll be good to go. Just feel them. You'll let yourself feel them. 
And our culture, church, eats this stuff up because it feels good for a minute. And that's about all you got. Because pretty soon it sets in that there's no power behind those words. And so how, how do what we have as Christians, how, how, does, it, how does it juxtapose those, that empty encouragement? Well, two weeks ago, I was sitting around a table with a bunch of church planters. Our New City Church is heavily involved in helping churches plant churches in Atlanta. And as we've talked about, we're, we're having a church planting resident or to join us for the next year that will be coming this summer. We, we want to be a church that plants churches because there's no other way to be a biblical church than to be about planting other churches. Planting the gospel and seeing the church go forth. And so I was sitting around a table with these church planters and it became pretty obvious to all of us that we were pretty discouraged that morning. You know, the email you got, the phone call, or last Sunday's attendance, or your sermon just kind of fell flat, or whatever it would be. You're just discouraged in the moment. You're wondering, God, what are you doing, if anything, here? And this were my brother's words. We sit around the table, and, and one of them confessed to me, confided to me. He said, man, you know, I need to be more encouraging to my people. He's a pastor of a church in the area. He said, I, he said, because I most of all know how discouraging it can be to follow Jesus. And that's the thing is that Jesus didn't promise that it wouldn't be discouraging. He promised that he would be with us. And that's the difference in the power, right? That when God is with you, you have power living inside of you that is otherworldly power. It's not just emotional power. It's, it's not just, you know, a currency of feelings. Although that's nice when that happens, when you feel good about what God's doing right. But it doesn't always come. You can't trust them. And so we just kind of made a pact that morning. What if we just sought to be encouraging people? Like, like what if every encounter that we had, you know, no matter how long it was, we, we, we sought to build up instead of tear down in those moments? And so a couple weeks ago, we just all started doing this, just with one another around the table, but also with people in our churches. Our Father knew that we would need to be encouraged. Let me tell you what He did. Um, in John 14, 26, the Scriptures say this. This is right before Jesus um, you know, goes through the Passion Week and suffers the cross. He, he's, he's teeing His disciples up. He's setting them up for what's to come. That He's going to send the Holy Spirit to be among His people. That he's going to be with them through His Spirit. And He says this, but the Helper, that's what He calls the Holy Spirit. It's his name right here. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring them to your remembrance. Do you know what that word helper means? It means to come alongside, to encourage. Oh, so you're going to send the encourager inside of us to encourage us as we go on the mission. Okay, okay, that's good. Well, then we read Paul writing to this church in Thessalonica in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And he's just told them these grand truths about the gospel. Like, hey, look, the end of time is going to come. Jesus is going to return, and you're going to go be uh, with your Father in heaven forever. That's, that's how this is all going to go down. I know it doesn't look like that right now, but I promise that's what's coming. And so he begins to teach them this, and then he follows it up with this. He says, therefore, because of this grand truth that I've given you, that what you see is not all that there is, therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing. Church, what would it look like for us 
to encounter every relationship that we see and see how we can build one another up instead of tearing one another down. You see, it's way easier to tear each other down, right? There's lots of platforms that encourage you to tell, tear one another down, right? But there's lots of those. It's much more difficult to intentionally choose to build one another up. But God has sent His Spirit, the paraclete, the parakaleo, inside of us to give us the power to receive encouragement and to give encouragement to one another. In essence, in your flesh, the most natural thing for you to do is to kind of have this dog-eat-dog mentality to tear everyone around you down so that you can be the last man standing. That's what your flesh wants to do in the marketplace, in your family, with your siblings, in your neighborhood. It's what... It's what the enemy wants you to do to absolutely destroy everyone around you. But the Spirit comes and He does something different. He gives you power to build into others, not because they've built into you, but because the Holy Spirit, the encourager Himself, lives inside of you. You now have power to build others up when they don't build you up. And and that changes people. people. People change whenever they're encouraged, whenever they believe that you're for them and not against them. And it starts with you being willing to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Church, do you believe that God is for you? Paul talked about this in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's not height, depth, width, breadth, length. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus is what he would say. Do you believe that God is for you this morning? If so, he's given you power to be for other people, to encourage them on their journey. I'm I'm reminded of um, this old Scottish pastor who who died what seemed to be a pretty, he had a pretty short life. He died in his 20s. He was a remarkable pastor. His name was John Watson. And um, he said this, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. It's not easy for us to acknowledge things like that. It's not easy to think about those things. But if that is the lens and the frame that you see others through because God in his kindness has seen you that way, you will be different and you will change people's lives because the Holy Spirit will be changing them through you. Be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. The strongest person that you see that you wish that you could be more like, they're fighting a hard battle. The person that is in the most desperate and vulnerable condition imaginable is fighting a hard battle. It doesn't matter where you're at, you're fighting a hard battle because that's what it's like to live in this world. It doesn't matter how things look on the outside, you're fighting a hard battle. And one of the things I want to add to this is just a note for dads. I was reading Colossians 3 this week, and um, in verse 21, here's, here's what the Scriptures say. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Isn't it really interesting that Paul would make such a specific exhortation to dads? Dads, you have the power in your family to build up or to tear down with the look of an eye. How do you use that influence in your family? Because you can be the most encouraging person. You haven't lost your backbone. You haven't lost your approach, 
You haven't lost the maturity in your family. You haven't lost any of that. You have the power to be the most encouraging person in your household because God has given you that platform. Don't provoke them. Don't antagonize them. Encourage them. Build them up. And we'll reap a world of harvest from it. Lastly, we'll land the plane by by talking about that, that passage that we looked at a minute ago from 11, uh, Acts eleven twenty three, and then in 27. The grace of God is something you can see. This kind of melts me when I think about that. Like, what's it? I, know, I mean, I know what it's like to hear grace, to read grace, to think about grace, but that's not what Barnabas says when he gets into town. He says he saw the grace of God. There was a visible manifestation and representation and evidence of grace. Let's read this real quick. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And then we see the implications of this in Acts 11.27. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They were first called little Christ. Now they had, no one had made that claim about the church in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, it seemed like this whole Jesus thing was just a sect of Judaism. But when they saw the power of the Gospel come into the diverse city of Antioch, the people of God and the person of Jesus was so prominent that the only thing they could think to call them were Christians. Little Christ. Those are the Jesus people. Barnabas, what he saw was this new ethos, this new culture of the gospel. You know, see, Antioch was this super broken city. Let me just describe it real quick. So it was like, at this time, it was like this one mile by two mile city that um, had these big walls inside of it um, uh, to, to kind of block it in. And there were people that lived on the exteriors of those walls as well. But inside of those walls were about 150,000 people in a two mile right, in a two mile you know, square, whatever, you know, two square miles. There we go. Um, 150,000 people. Do you know what the population density of that is? 117 people per square something. <laughs> per acre. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Sorry. Do you know what the population density of Manhattan is? Like 100 per acre. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. I mean, it is such a densely populated area. Okay, so there's that. Okay, there's a lot of people. So you can't, like, go somewhere without, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you've been to Manhattan, but it's super dense, right? But the thing is, they have these great engineers um, in America that build these really tall buildings, so we don't just spread people out. We just we throw them up in the sky, right? So, so you don't have that in Syria, you know, 2,000 years ago. That's not the case. Maybe three or four stories would be as high as you would see a building there's no sewage, there's limited running water, and it's in the, in the desert in Syria, okay? Can you get a picture of what the city's like? And not only that, you've, you've, got, you've got people from literally all over the world. And it's this polytheistic, sexually scandalous city that's got Greek culture kind of running throughout it, which was... Which is just kind of a, a really risque culture, the Hellenistic culture. And then these Jews with Jesus show up and they begin talking about Jesus. 
And what happens to their surprise is that things start to take off and explode. The beauty of the city is that you have to be around one another and rub shoulders. You can't throw, up, throw down your garage door and just call it a day, right? You can't do that here. And so you begin to see the gospel go forth. And, and what begins to happen in the city is that it was a, a, a very, you know, divided city. Racially, culturally, it was, a, it, it, was a, it was a city of a bunch of first-generation immigrants who wanted to hold on to their culture, yet there was like no culture of this particular city, the third biggest city in the world at the time. It's a really interesting place for the church to take off. But what began to happen when they began to see the grace of God is that the city became more bearable. That there was this common grace that people began to flourish that were following Jesus. And all of a sudden, the people that were following Jesus didn't have as much to hold on to as the people that didn't. And so therefore, they could kind of give up and sacrifice more and be more amenable to the, the culture around them without losing the backbone of the gospel. And so the follower of Jesus over time offered this kind of transcultural way of living, this, this way of living that superseded culture. And it became kind of this new ethos for them. When God's family of all nations was taking place, was rooted in Antioch, you know what happened? The world noticed. The world noticed when Jesus, when his people showed up in Antioch. Because persecution was the only thing that would have made that happen. They would have never chosen that, but when the Holy Spirit showed up in God's people in Antioch, the world noticed. And what did they notice? What is it, was it a bunch of people that just wanted to hold on to their culture and, 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 and wall up a part of the city so they could kind of have their own thing? No, they noticed Jesus. That's who they noticed. They didn't notice that the Christians kind of do this little thing over here and the, the Jews do this thing over here. You know, the Hellenists and the Romans, they do this thing over here. They begin to notice that there was something different about the people of Jesus because nothing mattered except Jesus. And it began to change the city. It didn't matter what they ate or, or, or drank or, or what they were doing on Saturday nights. But the only way that things changed was the world began to notice Jesus. And you read this idea of this in Ephesians chapter 2. We don't have time to get there today, but it talks about how the gospel brought both the, the Jew and the Gentile together. And the way that this happens is that on the cross, what Jesus did is he, he, he took all of our sin and all of the things that we, we like to, to kind of make about us that take power away from God, that, that rob glory from God, that we try to make about us, and, and, he, and he killed it all on the cross. He killed the hostility that divides us on the cross. And so as we begin to look to the cross, what we begin to do is we're more than willing to die to the things that used to separate us from others. And that's where the power of the gospel comes into play in our lives, is we begin to say that the things that I used to think were primary are no longer primary. Our list of tertiary things and preferences begins to grow instead of shrink. Because Jesus matters more than anything. And the only hope for anyone in this world is to know Jesus. And so we begin to make 
Him known through our lives. There's one new man in the place of two. He's torn down the dividing wall of hostility that divides us from one another. No matter what I've done or haven't done in my life, here's the truth of the Gospel. That a sinless man claimed to die for me to make me one with God and one with others. And every single person in this room and every single person in Lawrenceville has to deal with that. Jesus claimed to give his life for you. Now, now either you can embrace it, and you can follow Jesus, and he begins to prune you and shape you into his image, or you can reject it, but there isn't, there's really no middle ground. And so as we begin to embrace this, we see the culture of the gospel permeating Antioch, permeating Lawrenceville, permeating Atlanta, permeating Georgia. And the question is, am I going to embrace it or not? And my question for New City Church this morning is this, can we be these kind of people? Can, th can this be us? I mean, why would God not want to use His Spirit inside of us to bring a city together? To bring a culture together? And it begins by how we let the Holy Spirit encourage us so that we can encourage others and press us out into the people that He's drawn us to be in relationship with. You see, we don't have the... We don't, in Antioch, the people didn't have the option to not be around other people. You have that option as an American for the most part, right? You can kind of call the shots of your life. What would it look like to let God into your schedule a little bit, right? Let him into the, the, the iCal, the, the Google calendar you got on your phone, and to create a little margin for where the wind of the Spirit might blow you this week. Take a little time in that business meeting you've got to, to really look at someone eye to eye and say, hey, how are you? When you're checking the mail, maybe, maybe you, you don't run inside when you see your, your neighbors coming down the street walking their dog, right? That's a good step. <laughs> you know, what would it look like for you to be open to where the wind of God's Spirit might blow you? To scatter the seed of His, of his gospel. So what, what would need to happen? We'd all have to die to ourselves. We'd all have to give ourselves away until it hurts. We'd all have to trust each other and believe the best about one another. We'd all have to intentionally pursue people that are different than us. We'd all have to grow in humility. To look at ourselves and say, you know, God, I could never do this on my own. I would mess it all up, but your spirit has great power. So church, can we, can we just press into this more? And we're going to keep talking about it as we go through the book of Acts. Um, that the gospel would go forward through us as we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the power that you give us, the power of encouragement uh, in our hearts through the gift of the Spirit, Lord. I thank you for those, uh, even in this room today, that... Um, that may not know why they're here today. Maybe they just showed up. Maybe they're new to town. Maybe they're disgruntled. Maybe they're discouraged. But I know that your spirit has come for all types of people. And so, Lord, we just pray this, this, this morning that, that we would allow, <laughs> we would let you encourage us through your spirit. That the words that you spoke over Jesus 
on the Mount of Transfiguration, and you said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, would be the song of our hearts. That we would see that no matter what our lives have looked like this week, this year, or since childhood, that we're well-pleasing to you. And we have a message that everyone can be well-pleasing to God through Jesus. That changes us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.